listening to the Advanced Leadership Podcast from the South Carolina Baptist Convention. Now, here's your host, Lee Clamp. Well, welcome to another edition of the Advanced Leadership Podcast. I'm excited to have as a guest today with us, Steve Simpson, who serves as our Associational Missionary Strategist in Aiken, South Carolina, in the Aiken Baptist uh, Association. And uh, before that, though, he served at Warrenville First Baptist Church um, that was established in 1900 and just saw some incredible work and revitalization happen there now. And he's extending that now to churches that he serves there in the Aiken area. Steve, glad you're here with us. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, tell us about your family, Steve, before we get rolling. Yeah, so I'm married to Alex. Um, Alex and I have been married for almost a decade. We have two beautiful children, um, Adeline, who is, uh, she'll be eight in December. She's our humble, quiet child. And then we have a fiery redheaded child who will be four in November, Braylon. And uh, so I'm in a house full of girls and they keep me on my toes. A lot of fun. Wow. King of the roost, man. So uh, what, what does a, what does a dad of girls do, man? I mean, what do you do? How do you, how do you, how do you process, man? What happens? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'd love to hear from other dads who are a little further along than I am raising girls. I have a lot of concerns and fears. Like so, my, so mine are eight and four. <laughs> so well, just I'm looking your, forward to teenagers. Just get your oh, shotgun, you know, shined up. I have, a, I have a shotgun and a savings account for weddings. That's all I have going. I love it. I love it. Now, you're a grill master, man. You told me you said you love to get out on your grill. And uh, like, what kind of grilling do we like to do just to kind of get away? Yeah, so I, I love to grill, and I will smoke just about anything uh, meat-wise. We, I love to do ribs, anything pork, brisket. Um, do a reverse sear ribeye, which is the bomb. Nice. I have to teach you that, yeah. Reverse sear ribeye. Yep. So You don't have you, to teach me. Just cook me one, man. I'll, I'll cook you one. Come on down. So I, for those who don't know, who haven't heard, shout out to Rec Tech. So okay. that's my shameless promotion. Uh, Rec Tech in Augusta near us in our area. So yeah, I have a Rec Tech cook a lot of food and it's a great blessing for our pastors too. They, uh, they get to enjoy some of my barbecue. We did some yesterday for pastors appreciation month. Maybe Rec Tech can be one of our sponsors. We're always in need of more funding for the Great Commission. Right. We Rec Tech sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else are you into? So I told you earlier, my my big thing is I'm I'm a diehard Clemson fan. I know I'll yes. lose. I'll, I'll lose half the crowd right there. Um, yes. Especially Man, that, that it's crowd. It's just good to be yeah. among brethren and kin and family. I mean Listen, is it is it is it because of the dominance on the football field that you're such a a, a solid Clemson supporter? Yeah, so that's part of it. Let, let's be clear: we are dominant on the football field. Let's <laughs> be clear about that. Uh, but no, it's really bigger than that. I grew up in Greenwood, and uh, when I was literally in diapers, my dad started taking me to Clemson games. Uh, the Tommy West days, the Ken Hatfield days, like we would go and consistently watch four win seasons. So. We're, for me, it's all about the sentimental factor. Um, I go every Saturday, rain or shine, noon or midnight, and hang out with my dad. And it's just a good time. Go with my brothers. We take the rec tech and we grill at the tailgate, watch football all day, and have a blast in the valley watching the Tigers play. So, yeah, it's uh, I, I realize that I'll, I'm only going to get to do that so many times with my dad. So we, we take full advantage of it. Oh, I love it. You know, being a – 
being a uh, brother of four guys, five guys, and losing my dad, you know, about 12 years ago, I can totally relate to that. So cherish those moments. And um, and I, I'm sure that's going to be a blast. Well, listen, we're going to jump right into this conversation about uh, the revitalization of churches. Now, we've had several people on this advanced leadership podcast that has talked through uh, some of these um, great needs that we have in our churches here in South Carolina uh, to make the turn, to, to turn around and, and, and face uh, the community, to turn around and to, um, to actually see uh, a growth and great commission advancement. And you've had um, kind of firsthand experience on um, seeing some of this happen, even in the last church that you were a part of. What, what would you say, if you could just narrow it down to maybe three things from your experience, what, what would you say are that are those three primary things that a, that a church that um, is in transition or a church that needs uh, revitalization needs to, to know? Right. So I, I would I would say the first thing that we talked about a lot, and, and this is this one will be for, for free, but this is kind of a fourth. We uh, it's important for any revitalization pastor, for any guy coming in to, to really work hard to establish trust in order to do that. We we talked a lot about building a culture of prayer. Um, we realized that if the church was going to experience renewal and health again, it was going to be because of the grace of Jesus and we as a people um, had to be desperate for Christ in our lives and for his direction in our church. And I, the reason I referenced the trust thing is when we came in with that as our posture, uh, I started at a church. We, we had about 30 senior adults and I was a young guy. And when we came in and they probably expected me to introduce a lot of changes and, and implement a lot of things. And we came in and just started talking about let's pray together. Let's just really spend some time together, loving on each other and seeking God. Um, we were able to quickly earn trust and, and more powerful than that, we were able to begin to establish a culture where we're just pleading with God on behalf of our church and our community and ourselves uh, just to help us. So we transitioned our prayer culture. We didn't just do a, a come and pray for, uh, for ailments in our church. That was a piece of it, but praying for our neighbors by name, uh, praying over houses, uh, using things like bless your home, bless, bless, bless homes and uh, your neighbor, uh, prayer walking streets, just doing anything we can to to seek God on behalf of the needs around us. I just knew this. If if God wasn't in it, uh, no matter how creative we were, or how strategic we were, wasn't going to go anywhere. So we were desperate for God's presence and his power in our lives. Um, and what that did for me as a young pastor is. It helped me to learn to earn the trust of people who, who quite frankly, were, were old enough to be my grandparents. Um, and that, that was huge because I knew if they didn't trust me, I couldn't lead them. But when they when we earned their trust, the door flung open to the ability to lead and begin to implement some of the strategy that I had in my mind and heart uh, to begin to engage the community. So it all, it all started around this basis of prayer and earning trust and just engaging the hearts of that core group that was there. Um, beyond that, as we begin to establish some um, some trust and, and begin to pray and realize some of the needs that were around us, I, I knew that we had to be strategic about how do we engage the community around us. So just doing a deep dive on asking the question of what are the needs that exist, I was able to get some, some help from 
um, our SCBC partners uh, through uh, just studying demographics. And there, there's many people that have just invested in me and helped understand the needs of our community. Um, and then how do we how do we meet those needs? One of the things I realized is it's it's cool to do the thing that the church down the street is doing. But the church down the street might not be serving the same community that I'm serving. For instance, uh, if I'm in a community of, of average household income of 100,000, a food pantry probably isn't the biggest need for, for my community. Um, so what are the needs of these people? And, and we had to figure that out. So that was just a lot of relational drive. It was meeting people. Uh, we, I, I will say this, we, I don't know that we ever knocked on a door, um, but we, we met a lot of people in the yard. Uh, we talked to a lot of people. We hosted a lot of things. Um, at, at the church. I'll say this as an example. The first summer that we were there, I started in October. The first summer that we were there, my wife had this bright idea. We did vacation Bible school at the beginning of summer. Then we decided for every single Friday night for the remainder of the summer to host a uh, just a family event to try to get people on campus, to try to meet people. And uh, our church, who had went several years with zero baptisms, saw our first baptisms out of those events. And we started seeing families, uh, some of the families that are leaders at that church now, uh, their lives were transformed six years ago through events that we were able to do as a church. And we realized their needs. Uh, we were able to build relationships with them. And that that really launched us into a, a, a route of renewal. Um, but then I, I quickly, thirdly realized, so we, we have prayer, we, we just sought God together, we began to realize the community around us. Um, but then I realized we had to, to, to multiply, we had to better equip our people. Um, so as we had new people coming in, um, we had to train and equip them. So we launched an effort called Equip Hour. We kind of transformed our Sunday school time into Equip Hour, where we try to be more practical. We use tools like three, three circles, um, and did hands-on training. One Sunday morning, we literally turned our sanctuary into downtown. We didn't sit in chairs for Sunday school, but we taught our people to get up and walk around and get their reps sharing the gospel with, with their fellow church members. Um, a quick story, I had a, a deacon at our church uh, who had the one kid at our church when I started. Um, after we finished this equip 10-week session, with three circles, he came to me and said, uh, before this, I, I couldn't have shared the gospel. I couldn't have communicated it with my neighbor, with my coworker. I just couldn't have done it, couldn't have articulated it. And he said, but now I can actually do it. Hmm. And he had been practicing his reps with his nine-year-old nine, year, nine year old daughter. Um, and a month or two later, she actually made a profession of faith and we baptized her because he was practicing his reps at home with her. So this idea of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, I knew if we were gonna go get after our community, it was going to take more than me and my family. We had to multiply those who were who were living to fulfill the Great Commission. And those were keys to us beginning to bring new life and see renewal in our church. Wow, that's that's incredible. All right. So here's what I heard you say. Uh, trust. This yes. trust that was uh, that was established uh, between you, the people and and primarily through prayer gathering together right. to pray, not just, um, you know, for us and our comfort and our health, but also for the community. Um, right. And this idea that we would actually see our community for the first time, that you would mm -hmm. actually open your eyes and uh, and see the needs and the faces and the people. Um, but, you know, I, what I really loved hearing you say was, you know, we were willing to try some new things and some of these yep. new things even outside the building um, and being equipped to try some of these new things. 
And, uh, and you know, it's, uh, it's amazing what happens when you give people reps and actually give them the expectation that they're supposed to, you know, have these gospel conversations along the way, uh, you know, what right. would happen. So, so what did happen? Like what happened? Like what was the church like when you walked in the door? What was the church like when you left? Uh, what did you see and experience? Yeah. So when we walked in the door, literally the word was, if we don't do something, we die. Um, and that, that was told to me by the, by the person, uh, by the search team, uh, by the deacons when we first walked into, uh, um, to the church and they kind of looked at me as, as a guy, as, as a young guy, they, they wanted like most, uh, a young family guy with, uh, with, with children. And, um, so yeah, it was a, the thing that I tell everybody about our story at Warrenville is there was a sense of desperation, uh, which we were able to leverage for some good because there was so much, uh, just love for the church people that have been there that were there on the on the cradle roll and um been there for so long they didn't want to see their church die which produced a desperation for for new life and health and uh they just began to look to us to uh, to strategize around what it looks like to to be healthy again so when we walked in it was bleak uh but there were people there who who loved us well and uh who were desperate enough to let us lead in our youthfulness and naiveness. Um, but God used all that to just bring new life. Uh, we all know what the last two or three years have been like, but really before that COVID, God was just doing, and, and even through COVID did some incredible things, but um, we didn't go a single year without a baptism, which was at a church that had several years with zero baptisms hmm. previous. Um, we were able to see life transformation every, every year at our church, wow. um, family wow. units. We were able to see life transformation. Uh, we were all able to see a new uprising of leaders. When I walked out the door, um, every one of our deacons was a new person at the church, um, in, in a six year period. So an uprising of, of leaders, um, we were able to get to a place where we were able to develop some leaders. There was a young man there that we're, that I'm still investing in, but the folks who are there now are still investing in. Um, I was mentored and trained that, uh, uh, that you should never be irreplaceable. So I was always trying to train my replacement. And one of the unique things when I transitioned to the ABA, there were folks there that just stepped into place and the church just kept going. They didn't really miss a beat. So we, we tried, there were, there were some culture things we tried to establish, but, um, today the, uh, the church has called a new pastor and I have told him it's been a solid foundation laid a solid foundation culture that can be built on. And those things can continue to be done. So, uh, yeah, different church, still, still many things to improve. I, I don't at all say like we, we arrived and we mm -hmm. made it happen. The thing I would say the most uh, that, that I think has been really unique though, and, and just around a church health idea. I transitioned to the AMS in the same association that the church is in. And I've actually been able to remain a member at the church. Okay. Um, so, so we still go there. Um, we're, we're still around. We're still loved well. And I, I have so much uh, respect for that because it, it just shows that, um, that we were able to establish this culture of family and, and raising up leaders and sending people. I always told our church that I, I envision us sending people. Um, and the beauty of that is the church literally sent me 
to yeah. serve other churches. And, but we still get to be there. And, and we talked to them about that, that there's, they have sent us as missionaries to serve the greater Aiken area. Um, so that, that's one of the things that I love the most about just our story is that we were able to be sent and still be a part of the fellowship there and, uh, and, and see them continue to be healthy. Oh, that's great. Well, now you work in, you know, as an associational uh, missionary strategist, which, um, you know, puts you in, in, in the lives of a lot of pastors there in the Aiken right. area. If one of them were to come to you and say, Hey, what, what, what are some common barriers that, that, sure. that will keep me from progressing? Uh, maybe a new guy that's coming in, that's transitioning uh, into a, a church and has an opportunity in the first year, or maybe a guy that's been there for five or 10 years that, that wants to see some, what, what, what are some of those barriers you've seen that keeps this from happening? Right. Uh, I, I would start by saying this, this could be a barrier if you allow it to some of the, um, the heritage and history can be a barrier. I would encourage any pastor to know the heritage and history, uh, how that can be a, a, a barrier is just the unwillingness to change, to adapt to the cultural trends that we're seeing today, the things that we're facing. But I, I would say we were actually able to leverage that. So Warrenville first Baptist was established in the year 1900. Six charter members started the church with a vision to make disciples in Warrenville and around the world. So when I started talking to our church about revisioning and, and rethinking about who we were um, missionally to our community, I was able to sell our history rather than it be a barrier. It can be a barrier, but we were able to sell it with we're not taking the church foreign from the place that it was first established to be anyway. We just we have gotten away from the ability to effectively make disciples in Warrenville and around the world. And we want to figure out how to do that again in the year 2022. So but I say that heritage and history, if you're not careful, if you ignore it, it can be a barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you shun it, if it's if, if you make it out to be that everything has been done in the past is bad, that's going to lead you down a bad path and probably lead you out the door. Um, but, but if you leverage it for good and you uh, leverage it to communicate new vision and, and really renewing the original vision, um, it can really be a great benefit. So uh, to follow that up, I would say uh, key to any revitalization church renewal work, in my opinion, is just the ability to be patient, uh, to be patient. Uh, strategic patience is, is key. Mm. I've had many mentors of mine tell me, you know, you got to choose the hills that are worth dying on. And, mm-hmm. and that's true. There's just some that aren't worth dying on. Like we didn't come in and change the music style day one. Uh, we figured out that we could reach people with the gospel and still sing hymns. Um, now we did adapt and change as we got four or five years in, down the road, but that wasn't the first thing. It wasn't a hill worth dying on. I was willing to be patient to get to some of the places that I knew we needed to be, to be more relevant and more present in our community. So Patience for a lot of guys can be a hurdle. Um, we, we've often said, you've heard it said that to really become a church's pastor, some argue could take up to five years. Right. So just having the patience to, to love them well um, and to lead them through change, not to drive it down their throat. And, and then this is just, this is a challenge that all of us face in church renewal and revitalization is resources. I'm so thankful that we have partners in our SBC family um, I, I truly believe this is a thing that gets said a lot, but we really are better together. Um, so I had local churches who came along and helped us. I had pastors tell me, hey, we'll send folks, we'll make Warrenville shirts and we'll send our volunteers to work your block parties. 
-hmm. we'll help you with funding if you need AV stuff, whatever it is. So resources are a challenge, but if you leverage relationships and, and it's not really a pitch or a sell, but if you leverage relationships and share the work and the vision that you have for the place you're leading, there are folks out there who are willing to jump on board and help and support. Um, so resources are, is a hurdle, but it can be overcome as well. Wow. That's great. Well, listen, man, you've done an incredible work there in Aiken and I look forward to seeing how God might use you through um, your association and, um, and in the future, if there's some guys out there that might want to connect with you, how best is it for them to, to maybe connect with you and ask you some questions? Yeah, so we're serving here at the uh, Aiken Baptist Association. You can uh, check out our website. My email is on that. Um, my, my cell phone number is actually 803-257-5246. Would love for you guys to reach out. Um, but I'm pretty easy to track down. Just reach out to the Aiken Baptist Association. Would love to serve and help in any way I could. Thanks, Steve. Well, listen, until every life is saturated and transformed by the hope of the gospel, continue to advance. Thanks for listening to the Advanced Leadership Podcast from the South Carolina Baptist Convention. This South Carolina Baptist Convention podcast is made possible through the cooperative program giving of South Carolina Baptist churches. For more information, visit scbaptist.org.